Hello, health investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Michelle Maidenberg. Michelle runs a private practice in Harrison, New York. She's the author of the book, Free Your Child from Overeating, 53 Mind-Body Strategies for Lifelong Health, and her upcoming book, coming out September 20th, 2022, is called Ace Your Life, Unleash Your Best Self, and Live the Life You Want. In the episode, Michelle explains the primary causes of overeating in children, early warning signs that a child may be trending towards an unhealthy relationship with food, how parents can model better behavior for their kids, and more. But before we get to the episode, I want to share one of my favorite resources with you, Dry Farm Wines. Did you know that alcohol manufacturers aren't required to post ingredients or nutrition facts on their bottles? That's how they're able to sneak sugar and other additives into their products. Fortunately, Dry Farm Wines has come up with a solution. Their natural wines are lab tested to ensure they're sugar-free, lower in sulfites and alcohol, and also free from other industrial additives. Since I've grown accustomed to drinking natural wine, even the top-rated expensive conventional wines can give me headaches and just make me feel kind of gross. If you've never tried Dry Farm Wines, you're going to be immediately hooked by the flavor and quality of their products, as well as their top-notch customer service. To get a bottle of Dry Farm Wines for just a penny, visit dryfarmwines.com slash thehealthinvestment or click through the link in the show notes. All right, it's time to hear from Michelle. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Hi, Brock. So nice to meet you. Can you start off by telling us a bit about your background and specifically what led you to become a therapist and eventually write Free Your Child from Overeating? Sure. So I have a private practice in Westchester County in Harrison. Um, I'm also the co-founder and clinical director of a nonprofit, which is called Through My Eyes, and that's T-H-R-U. And it's um, a nonprofit, like I said, that offers free clinically guided videotaping uh, for chronically medically ill individuals who want to leave a video legacy for their children and loved ones. Um, Hmm. Yeah, we did over 300 videos, and now we're going through a bit of restructuring, which is very exciting, and it's really off offered globally, you know, nationally. Um, I'm also an adjunct faculty at New York University at NYU, and I teach a graduate course in mindfulness practice. Hmm. So yeah, pretty diverse. Um, And I I really like to have my hands, as you can tell, to wear a couple of different hats and have my hands in different things. Um, You know, I'm on the board of directors of the Boys and Girls Club in Mount Vernon. Um, I also do a lot of trauma work. 
So um, the I'm, I'm you know the member of the American Red Cross um, crisis team, and I also serve on the board of directors of the Westchester Trauma Network in Westchester County. So if there's anything that goes on in the vicinity where there's you know any trauma related incidences, I'm called in. Um, and my background, you know, I won't get into the different methodologies I use. You know, when I talk about my book, I'll, I'll talk more about that. But this is my first book that we're talking about. Um, and then I just wrote a second book that is going to be published in September. It's called Ace Your Life, Unleash Your Best Self and Live the Life You Want. Um, and then, and I do a lot of writing and I'm a blogger for psychology today. So I do a lot of, I really dedicate myself and invest myself in health and mental health advocacy. That's a really huge part of my, you know, my life and practice. Um, and what led me to write specifically about this book is I always, you know, throughout my life, it has to do like with, with, with my personal life, which is I've always had, I've always kind of gravitated, I would say, towards um, eating and food, you know, for comfort. Um, you know, I grew up, my parents divorced when I was really young, and it was like the most stable thing that was always, you know, uh, that was always just a source of comfort. It was always accessible. Um, and, and I did, you know, I was, I'm pretty tall, so I carry myself pretty well, but I did put on a little bit of weight, especially going to college. And since then, you know, I really have kept it off and I've become an avid exerciser and I actually was an aerobics instructor for a number of years. Um, and then also with my four pregnancies, because I have four children, I gained and lost 300 pounds within eight years. Um, so I really do consider myself like an expert of gaining and losing weight just because of all my experiences. Um, and I've kept off you know, all the way throughout these years. Um, and I think actually now I'm, I feel like I'm in like the best shape of my life. <laughs> um, I'm a really, really clean, you know, eater. I'm very vigilant about like my diet. Um, and I also, you know, exercise at least, you know, six days a week. So I'm, I'm pretty committed in every way. Awesome. Yeah. So the free your child from overeating book really stemmed from, your own childhood and you're seeking comfort from food. And then is it also that you, you didn't really have somebody to kind of help you or guide you through the process of eating a healthy amount for yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, again, I, when I grew up and, you know, I grew up, I was born in the seventies. So, uh, people didn't have a lot of awareness during that time. I mean, when I grew up, we had literally this huge cupboard with every type of candy and sweets and cookie related thing, you know, uh, and we would have easy access 24 seven in and out of the, the cupboard. And then we also like, again, we used to like drink soda for breakfast. It was, there was like no discipline at all in regards to eating and we didn't have any education at all. And either did my you know parents for that matter. Um, and I, I notice, you know, just going through, I guess, my process and working with obviously my clients, that there's so many people out there that really, really struggle. And, you know, when I do workshops, sometimes I'll ask like the audience, whether it's young or old, and I'll ask, you know, or older, I should say, and I'll ask them like, how many of you have lost weight and like all the hands go up, you know, and, and then I ask how many of you have sustained it over time and then all the hands go down. Mm. So it's, we really have the knowledge. I mean, if you go on the internet now, there's tons, you know, of what we call diets, you know, prescriptive ways. And we also know that, you know, we know kind of 
how to diet and exercise, but we really, the, the key I feel is how to maintain it over the long term. The other thing which isn't talked about enough is the psychological barriers. You know, we talk about kind of the physiological part, we don't talk about the psychological part. And, you know, for most people, it is really psychological. There's a physiological habit, you know, that gets formed. There's obviously urges and other things that go on within our body physiologically, like our hormones, et cetera. But, you know, we really lose sight. Often it has a lot to do with our thinking. And this whole book is written really, really focusing, you know, with theoretical frameworks on our thinking, you know, specifically. So it could be used, for example, with practitioners who are working with clients. It could be used for parents. It could be used with kids. It really is multidimensional in that way. And I've used it across the board with all different kinds of people. And sometimes I'll even use it with adults. You know, adults Mm. get a lot of, I, I use it all the time with adults. Um, because the, the skills and the tools and the exercises really could relate to anybody. I think the only way that makes it distinct is the examples, you know, are specific, let's say to teens or whatever the case is, but you could easily, easily, um, you know, complement that with your own examples, you know, personally. Um, so that's, yeah. So, and, and I have to tell you, it's so interesting because when I speak to parents, um, even grandparents or whoever is caretaking, you know, what they say is they don't know how to talk to their kids about it. You know, they get confused about that. They also are fearful. I hear this all the time. I don't want to talk to them about it because I'm going to put things in their mind. Mm. And I say to them, you know, your kids probably have a mirror that they look at. Um, And our mind, we have a negativity bias. Like we automatically compare ourselves to other people. (laughs) Um, So although you're not talking about it in some ways, if you think about it, you're kind of ignoring, right? You're ignoring what already exists. And if you're ignoring it, then what does that say about, you know, uh, shame, right? And the ability to openly communicate and openly express feelings about, right? Mm -hmm. you're, You're subliminally saying that this is something to be shameful about, or this is something we don't talk about. Right. And it doesn't matter if it's a channel. And I say to, I say to them, if your child had diabetes, or any other physiological kind of challenge, would you not talk to them about it? Would you not talk to them about their diet if they had diabetes? That would be neglect. (laughs) And they're like, of course I would. I said, well, why is this different? You know, it is, it isn't. If you really think about it, right. You're put there at risk for all different kinds of, you know, diseases um, and also psychological impact as well. Cause often we find, you know, that it affects you both socially, interpersonally, you know, individually, your self-perception, right? Your self-love, self-compassion. I mean, I could go on and on and on. So it, it is something really important to talk about, just like it is to talk about, you know, s- sex and drugs and everything else. Um, so that, that sometimes is a huge issue that I find. People really don't know how to talk about it. So I wanted to have, you know, this manual, so to speak, that people have this understanding of how to talk about it and how to talk about it in a mindful way, in a constructive way, in a helpful way, um, and to put a voice to it. Um, and also to focus on the psychological barriers, which I feel is really not talked about enough. As you were saying, we kind of all know what to do when it comes to 
you know, what we should be eating, right? We know Mm -hmm. that broccoli is going to be healthier than soda, Mm -hmm. or there's so much information out there, but it can hit this point where it's analysis paralysis because there's so much coming at you. And as you were just talking about parents feeling fearful of talking to their kids, I was thinking Mm -hmm. in the same way now, there's all this language we're supposed to use about weight and obesity, and it's kind of a taboo topic sometimes. And parents want to be a good example for their kids and they don't want to give them some type of eating disorder or, you know, make them paranoid about food. So it does seem like you do need a manual to help you have these conversations so you can know you're, you're speaking about these topics in a way that's productive and helping your child become a more mindful eater rather than feel Mm -hmm. fearful of certain foods or labeling foods as good or bad or, And the other thing, just, you know, to piggyback what you just said, which is so important is this book is actually not specifically for kids who overeat. Like I use it for parents who just want to instill mindful eating into their children. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Cause there's a whole chapter on communication. Yeah. So it doesn't have, it's not only for kids who overeat. It's also like, how do I want to like, how do I want to implement these really good skills, right? And ways of having these healthy relationships with food and eating and our bodies that it's going to fortify really this healthy behavior in the long term. What about if a parent feels that they don't have a healthy relationship with food themselves? Mm -hmm. So how do they, Mm -hmm. do they kind of read the book first and work through Mm -hmm. a lot of these things on their own and then start working on it with the kids? I love that question. That is such a great question. (laughs) So as you could imagine, you know, and as we, as we age, you know, so people who didn't start out with having their own challenges themselves, we, it all catches up to us. That's the amazing thing. Cause guess what happens as we age? Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> right? our metabolism slows down and we can't, we can't have the same habits that we had when we were younger. It just doesn't work. I mean, I, I could even speak from personal experience. You know, I grew up with a mom who was very thin her whole life. I mean, really, she was very, very thin, never had an issue ever with food or, you know, weight gain, et cetera. Even my brother too, you know, my brother. And as they've aged, it's so interesting because like I consider myself in, far better shape than both of them, you know? Um, but you know, because they really never learned or they didn't have to ever be conscious of it their whole entire lives, they were eating whatever they wanted to and not even paying attention to what they were eating because again, because of their metabolism. But now as they age, you know, it it catches up to you, like I said. Um, and if you don't learn, even as you age, how to kind of manage, right. And recalibrate your diet and exercise, you're going to gain weight. That's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then there are other parents, of course, who I think there's a couple of different camps, right? There's parents who've had issues with food and they, they're particularly anxious over it. So they're worried about their kids and they want to instill those habits because of having their own experience, right? And that becomes, you know, pretty anxiety provoking. And sometimes mm-hmm. it could be, you know, forced, or it could, uh, you know, kind of be messaged in a relentless, anxious way, which, you know, could be problematic, of course. Um, and then there are some, you know, there are some parents are all about preventative medicine, right? They want to make sure that they give these good skills and tools to their kids. 
right? And then there's other parents who are challenged as we speak, right? Um, and, and again, they want to do this as a process with their kids. So I have a lot of parents who say like, oh, I would love to do this with my children, which is really nice, you know, when you do it collaboratively too. So I guess the point that I'm making is it applies to everybody. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it kind of, do you have, is it kind of like put your oxygen mask on first type of thing before you can help your kid like work through stuff on your own a bit yeah. first. So sometimes with certain parents, actually they, they consult with me first and they'll read the book first and then they'll consult with me on questions they have. Cause sometimes parents, it depends on the, the child and it depends on, on the parent. So some kids want to do this completely individually and solo without their parents. They want their parents to have nothing to do with it. And that's perfectly fine. So what I do in that instance is I'll tell the parents, like, you know, here's the book, why don't you read the book? So you kind of have a basic understanding and idea of what, you know, kind of skills and tools we're going over. And that will be helpful for you. Plus, you could also reinforce it at home with your kids, which is really important. Right? Right. Um, But to have that respect where they want their own autonomy, they really want to take their own ownership of, you know, their treatment, which is wonderful. I'm all I'm an advocate for that. You know, there are some parents and children who have a different type of relationship where they actually want to do it together, combined. So they'll actually read a chapter and then talk about it, you know, or they'll read it together. Um, And then there are some kids who want nothing to do with it, (laughs) which is okay, too, because there's shame or, you know, denial or whatever is going on for them. And they may not be ready, which is totally okay. Or kids who are young, right? And they can't really, they're not sophisticated enough you know, to, to grasp the information. Um, and in that instance, you know, sometimes it will just be the parents reading, you know, or a practitioner reading and that's fine too. So there's, there really isn't a prescriptive way of, of doing it. What would you say are the primary causes of overeating in children? And are they pretty much the same causes for adults or are they a bit different? Pretty much. Yeah, it, it is very similar. You know, I think it has a lot to do with our hormone, you know, it's a physiological, right? There's a genetic predisposition, there's modeling. And, you know, again, we learn through obviously behavior and and role modeling and modeling behaviors. Um, You know, there's habit, you know, coping skills. So often, like I describe myself, you know, often we cope with certain things through our eating Um, and it could be anything, right? It could be boredom. It could be sadness, you know, it could be anything, any, any thoughts or feelings that kind of come up that we cope through our eating. And like I said, it's a consistent, accessible means by which, you know, to cope with not the most healthy, of course, but it is. So there's all different things that come up that, that really make food an easy kind of coping skill. Mm -hmm. Um, But it could be, like I said, very counterproductive and maladaptive if it's taken to an extreme, like with anything, of course. Um, so I think, I think it's a combination of things. I really do. I think sometimes, you know, there's a lack of education. And, and I, I mean, one thing I do want to say, which is really critical, there is an accessibility to healthy foods. Mm-hmm. So that, that is critical. I mean, talk about policies that need to change, you know, both at, you know, on, on every level. So um if you go into low socioeconomic status environments and neighborhoods, and I know this because I actually did this and, and experimented with it because it was important to me, you can't find, I remember I wanted, I, I went into a neighborhood and I wanted to find a salad, right? 
like if you go here, like in Manhattan or, you know, New York, every other block, if you go to any kind of, you know, city, you could find some kind of like store where you could get some kind of salad, right? Mm-hmm. No, in those environments, in those, in those cities, you know, areas, you cannot find a salad. I promise you, I walked for miles. <laughs> I could not find a salad. Yeah. Um, also try to go to like farm fresh, like wonderful, mm-hmm. like to get wonderful produce. It is so expensive. Yeah. It's unghastly expensive. So if you have, you know, if you have financial restrictions, you're not going to go be buying like the, you know, the produce that costs a lot of money. You're going to spend that money obviously on things that are, are essential for your family and your needs. So that, that's a major issue. I can't, I can't even, you know, that's a whole other, right. There's so many political things going on now, but, um, that, that's, that's a whole other ball of wax that definitely has to be. And I, and I mention it actually in the book as well. So when I, when I wrote this book, I really, really thought about what elements affect our kids, you know, and it's not just kind of the food, you know, behavior eating, but it also has to do with, um, you know, again, how we think about things, it has to do with our active lifestyles, it has to do with communication and the household and otherwise, it has to do with outside influences like friends, cultural biases, um, again, you know, schools, you know, and, and in terms of the policies that our schools, like whether it's, um, you know, food that they're serving at schools, the activity level, and that varies, by the way, from state to state. So that's, you know, very interesting as well. It has to do also with our level of assertiveness, you know, uh, interpersonally. So some, if you, if you have somebody who's particularly anxious, you know, it has to, so if you go to a restaurant and you want something changed, right, in your food that you're eating, or you want a variation of something, you're not going to ask for it if you don't feel like you could assert yourself. Mm. And that becomes an issue too, you know, eating out right? There's a whole culture, right? That we have around eating out. Well, people, you know, sometimes say to me, well, I'm eating out and there's nothing healthy that I could order. I could tell you no matter where I am, you know, and if you're, you know, if you educate yourself, I was in the middle of like Disney world. Now trying to find something else healthy in the middle of Disney world. (laughs) It's very difficult. People are like, you can't find anything. Well, what did I do? You know, I, before I got there, you know, I brought myself a couple of fruits, you know, and I, all I did is I, I literally, I think I bought myself two or three salads <laughs> and guess what I used for, for dressing mustard. Mm. I did. I took some mustard and it was actually delicious. <laughs> yeah. Mustard and hot sauce are two of my favorites yeah. in terms of low calorie, uh, flavor. Exactly. Like you have to be a little bit creative, but it's learning how to be that way. And I'm not suggesting that like that everybody prescribed to that because that's not what I'm suggesting at all. That's okay for me. Right. But that doesn't work for everybody, but there are ways there are, you know, different there's like, if you're deciding between one thing or another, there's a difference in healthy eating in that way too. Mm-hmm. Right. You could get like the cheeseburger with, you know, bacon on top, <laughs> Or you could get the grilled chicken sandwich. You know, there's a difference between the two if you kind of have that knowledge. So, yeah. and, and, you know, policies around food, like I said, is really critical as well. Um, so I hope that answered your question. 
when you were talking about people with anxiety, you know, I, I never really thought about it that way of having more of a struggle, especially in terms of kind of advocating for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I saw maybe on your blog or somewhere else, this idea that kids with ADHD may be more likely to overeat. Is that true? Mm-hmm. And if so, why? So, you know, when, when you say ADHD, um, I think what we're really talking about is impulsivity. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I don't want to like kind of pigeonhole or, or label, you know, um, cause again, not, not in the nature of doing that. I, I think it's, it's anyone who is in the spectrum of impulsive, you know, who has impulsivity, <clears throat> excuse me. And the reason for that, if you could imagine, right, is your brain kind of works really, really quick. Okay. And what we need and, you know, what I, what I really teach my clients is about kind of the, the pause, that the pause button between the thinking and doing. Mm-hmm. And that's what helps to cultivate that with doing mindfulness training, right? You're really cultivating that pause, which we innately don't have. And some of us, because of, like I said, this, you know, there could be a genetic predisposition for it. It could just be how we're wired. Um, so there's a lot less space and ability to pause between the thinking and doing. So if like, I want it, I want it. And then before you know it, and people will argue with me about this, by the way, I say to them, well, what thoughts did you have in your mind, you know, before you overindulged or whatever the case is. And they'll say to me, I didn't have a thought, you know, between like when I had the thought I wanted and it was in my mouth, there wasn't any thinking. And then when I break it down for them and we slow them down. And we really kind of have them process and then also get in touch with their mind and their bodies and understand, you know, themselves and have more self-awareness. They'll be like, oh, actually, mm-hmm. the thought was, well, you know, I had, I had a really nice dinner. I, I don't know that I really need this, you know, extra piece of dessert, right? And the other thing that was going through my mind is, okay, I'll have it today, but I won't have it tomorrow. Or I'll do better tomorrow and then like I'll skip a meal, which is not healthy, right? Or I'll exercise, you know, twice tomorrow instead of, you know, today or whatever the case is. But they forget or they don't even recognize or they're not aware that they had all these streams of thoughts going through their mind between when they were having the thought and when they actually took the action. Mm -hmm. So the impulsivity, you know, any kind of impulsivity is going to make it a little bit more challenging. Absolutely. So it's it puts you at risk both for any kind of like, you know, these kind of um, behaviors such as even, you know, drug and alcohol, right? Um, overeating, like any kind of impulsive type of behaviors, which makes sense. Hey there, health investor. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Just popping in here for a quick minute to share an exciting opportunity with you. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in sustainable weight loss. If you've been struggling to lose weight and actually keep it off, I'd love to connect with you in my group or one-on-one coaching program. Unlike restrictive, hard-to-follow diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed habits and an everything-in-moderation mindset so that you can lose weight permanently feel completely in control of your cravings, have steady energy throughout the day, and stick with healthy habits long-term. To learn more about my coaching programs and apply to work with me, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at thehealthinvestment. 
Now, back to the episode. Are there early warning signs that a child might be trending towards an unhealthy relationship with food? Yeah. I mean, usually you'll see like overconsumption, you know, where there's this lack of satiation, you know, they'll ask for like more and more and more. Um, I uh, often parents report to me and I, I hear this very often is they'll find food hidden. They'll find wrappers, you know, hidden behind their bed or they'll find, you know, these kind of secretive eating, um, that happens quite often. And it's interesting the way the perception sometimes of it is as if they're stealing food Mm. (laughs) rather than like what, what, you know, what is going on that's causing this child, right. To hide. So I always say to them, like, focus more on the hiding behavior, not on, right. The, the taking of the behavior or kind of consuming the consumption of it, right. Yeah. The utility of it. Like, what is that about for the, for the kid? You know, um, again, sometimes there's even like depressive or anxious symptoms, right. Where low self-confidence, um, you know, body image, you know, kind of issues or challenges, um, not really having a good sense of hunger cues and, you know, thirst cues. That's, that's also huge. So there's a, there's a variety of things to kind of take a look at when you're kind of assessing like where your child is at with their food consumption. And those are some examples. Um, and also I would have to say often people kind of perseverate, over food. They ruminate over it. When am I going to have for my next meal? And you see kids sometimes really getting into the space, like, when are we going to eat? When are we going to eat? Or what are we going to eat? You know, they get very highly anxious about it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So those are some of the challenges I think that kind of come up and, you know, you may say to yourself, well, oh my gosh, everyone has those challenges. Yes. That that is the point. We all do. (laughs) (laughs) Kids too. (laughs) Exactly. So then how do your strategies differ from parents' typical approaches? You mentioned like a parent may get upset at the stealing food when really they should be looking at the hiding or mm-hmm. um, I'm just thinking of, you know, parents want, meaning well, having the best intentions. And, mm-hmm. You know, if a kid is saying, oh, when are we going to eat next? When are we going to eat? And maybe not realizing that there could be some type of unhealthy behavior going on there with food and instead... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like, we'll eat soon or, you know, like how do your approaches differ from how parents may typically react? Yeah. And that's also a great question. I'm going to give like an example that came up, which had to do with body image, which was so telling sometimes, you know, when I work with families, um, the, you know, I was speaking to a mom and she said to me, you know, I don't know what to do. My daughter wants to wear a bikini, you know, to camp and I'm just not comfortable with it. And I said, what do you know? Is, is she comfortable with it? Just out of curiosity. And she said, yes, she doesn't care. Like the way she looks in it. And I said, so what's your problem with it? <laughs> so she said, I just, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't realize what she looks like and she doesn't really look so great in it. You know, I'm worried that kids are going to make fun of her. I'm worried that like, so I said, is that your issue? Or is that her issue? Right. Because if she was worried about it and if she was made fun of, I'm sure she wouldn't want to be wearing it either. Right. Mm -hmm. So she said, well, I don't know when I set limits, like when I say, no, it's okay to when not to. So I said, well, you know, generally, like, you know, we we kind of set boundaries around like safety. Right. Or whatever. Um, I said, is her like butt cheeks hanging out? You know, mm-hmm. like she's 10 years old, you know, is, is it inappropriate in, in any kind of fundamental way relative to her body and like, you know, et cetera. 
She said, no, you know, it's appropriate, like for her age, the bathing suit. I said, okay, so what's the problem? You know, anyway, it came down to that the mom was uncomfortable with it. Mm. It actually showed really great confidence on behalf of the child, you know? Um, So the, the mom recognized that, that she, it was really coming from her own insecurities, of her child. And sometimes as parents, we have feelings about our child's behavior. And I could tell you personally, this came up for me. You know, there, there are things that I personally had to really work through as well, right? Because I teach this stuff. I wrote on it, right? Like, oh my goodness, I have to have like the model children, don't you think? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Or else what's wrong with me? Like, is she legitimate? Yeah. So my, my oldest, and, and again, it's, it's so wonderful to see now. Cause you know, I have, I told you four kids and the oldest is 22. The youngest is like almost 14. Um, but it definitely like my behaviors and, and, you know, the way I speak with them, definitely you could see have an influence because they, they're all very cognizant of it. And they're also, you know, pretty into physical fitness and all that, which is lovely. You know, I'm so proud of them, all of them, but, you know, growing up, my, my oldest, he, he did, he, 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 I mean, he had, he has my body type. So he was a little bit on the you know larger side. He didn't really, wasn't interested in, in working out or anything else. Um, and, you know, had, wasn't really as open, I would say than maybe, you know, another child that really kind of taking in the information, he would kind of like push it, push me away, you know, when I spoke about it or whatever. And of course I was very conscious that I did it in a very healthy way and et cetera. And I remember we took a picture and he looked, you know, a little larger than usual in the picture. And I remember sitting there and I was debating whether I should post it or not. And I felt such shame that I felt that way. Mm. You know, I really did. I sat there and I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, but, th- but that's real, you know? Yeah. This, that is just real. Like I was being real with myself and I, I, I had to like, you know, and I was accepting that of myself that in that moment, it was a moment of thinking to myself, you know, like, how do I feel about it? How will other people feel about it? You know, maybe a little embarrassment and then also being embarrassed that I felt embarrassed. You know, it was like such a whole bunch of thoughts and feelings that were coming over me. Um, But really being in that space and also having respect for where he was at. Like he had the information, but he wasn't in a space where he was ready or willing, right? To use that. And that's perfectly okay. So as parents, sometimes we have the responsibility, right, to teach our children, even if they are not accessing the information and the belief is they'll access it when they're ready and they're able to. And that's perfectly fine, unless it's a safety issue. So I do want to say that that's like a whole other ball of wax, you know, if it's a safety mm-hmm. issue that, that we're not talking about that. Um, right. In terms of these strategies, so one thing that I do is I'm very cognizant about them being user-friendly and fun, you know, um, and also interesting, you know, I find, you know, so I, I, after each chapter and it's, you know, after each chapter, what I do is I, I, or after each, I would say like skill, you know, I give an exercise. Um, and then at the end of the chapters, also what I do is, um, I have a mindfulness exercise and it actually corresponds to a guided meditation, which mm-hmm. is links to my website. So what's really nice about it, and people really loved it. They said, you know, after they did the chapter and they did the exercises, then, and also there's a, there's a section that's called check your baggage for, for parents, because we have to be very in tune and, and have really self-awareness when we're kind of talking about these particular issues. 
because it definitely evokes our own issues in regards to food and health and wellness. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really, really important that we have that awareness. So I do, like I said, there's a section called check your baggage, which helps you to really identify some things that may be coming up for you. And then there's also a review of the skills just to kind of, you know, um, assess whether, you know, you've, you've always, and the nice thing about it too, is you could go in and out of the chapters. So if there's a skill that you feel like you want to review again, you know, you could kind of go back to it. Um, and yeah, and the, the exercise, like, I'll just give you an example. So, you know, I did, you know, an exercise that was specific around kind of cravings and being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Cause again, that's challenging our urges, right? Cause we all have urges relative to food all the time. So there was an exercise called, you know, being with whatever shows up, right? And I had them like sit within a small bag of potato chips, right? And they did a whole exercise around these potato chips because you learn about mindful eating, you learn about portion control, you learn about, you know, also just being mindful, right? Like the mindfulness kind of base skills of being with and appreciating and having gratitude and really kind of taking in the aromas, the texture of whatever it is that you're eating as well. And then there's like kind of these cute, I would say these kind of cute names for each exercise that are, that are fun too. So like tracking mind games, you know, um, there's all different, like all these kind of cute names, like I said. And the other thing that makes it very distinct, which I really guide myself and my practice on is values. So I came up and I did a lot of research on this. And this is this is really makes this distinct more than I think most other books. And my new book also has a, a large section on values as well. So I do want to say that because it's a big part of my work. And I feel that it has literally changed my life personally. And it really changes the life of my clients, you know, that I work with substantially. And what I did, what I did identify, because we think that kids have to have the same values that we have, right? Mm -hmm. So what do we do? We impose it on them. Oh, you need to be healthy because you're going to live a long life, you know? And let me tell you, I don't think a 10-year-old is thinking about their longevity. (laughs) Just saying. I wasn't thinking about my longevity when I was 10. Were you? Yeah, no. I didn't know what that word meant. (laughs) Exactly. Like seriously, you know, you know what they're thinking about? So what I narrowed it down to, what I came up with was they're thinking about their relationships. Okay. They're thinking about, they are thinking about their health, but relative to what's important to them. Right. Mm -hmm. So for example, like feeling tired all the time, right. Or having specific health issues that affect even your mobility, you know, Um, they're thinking about fitness. So for example, kids who like to play sports, they're thinking whether they're moving at a faster pace or a slower pace because that's going to be important to them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're thinking about whether they could catch their breath after they exert themselves and they run up the stairs in their school and whether they're like huffing and puffing and their friends behind them saying like, what's wrong with you? You know, um, they're thinking about their physical comfort. So for example, they're thinking if they fit into their clothing, that's huge. They're thinking about, um, like I said, comfort and doing physical activities. Okay. Um, They're thinking about, you know, their self-acceptance and self-love. Like, are they, are they, you know, when they approach themselves, are they feeling frustrated and hopeless or are they feeling enthusiastic and empowered? Like what's going on for them, you know? And then the other big thing, and this comes up a lot with, you know, with adults as well, is they're thinking about their freedom and independence. Now, I don't know about you, 
But I really appreciate the fact that, you know, now, because I feel like I'm in, you know, really, really good shape, I go into clothing stores and I could really buy a lot more things than I used to buy when, you know, when I felt like I, you know, and again, not to say that you could buy whatever you want, whatever you feel comfortable in. So I do want to make that point too. But um, I just feel more comfortable in my own space. Like I I just have greater confidence, you know, Um, and kids, they want to know that they could buy the clothing they want to buy. They want to know that they don't have to compromise on styles or types of clothing, you know, because because of their, you know, their weight, et cetera. They want to know that they're not missing out on events or activities that they want to try. I see this so often and it's really, it saddens me. I have to tell you where kids, you know, won't go into a pool or they won't whatever, you know, because they're worried, you know, about something, you know, not being able to participate in the way that they want to. And that's, that's, you know, that's sad. Or they don't want to change into their gym clothes or they don't want to put on a bathing suit, you know, whatever it is. So those are the things in general that I've seen, you know, those types of values. Um, so we may, you know, we think to ourselves, you shouldn't want to like be in good shape because of wanting to like fit in clothes. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's what kids are thinking about. Yeah. And a lot of adults too. Oh, oh, for sure. For sure. I can tell you, I was working with an adult. This was really powerful. I was working with an adult. Again, we're talking about like a really high powered woman who, you know, who was struggling with her weight. And I I was using the book with her and and we were kind of talking about it and we were trying to narrow down like, like the core of her values. And, you know, she didn't even think about some of the ones that I mentioned just now, you know, And I said to her, what about freedom and independence? And she said, in what way? Like, how is, you know, I don't understand. How is that impacting me? I said, oh my goodness, you are like the most independent woman ever, right? Like you like to come and go and do and, you know, as you please, you know? And she said, yeah. I said, do you realize from the things you've shared with me that this keeps you from being an independent person? Mm Mm-hmm. And she looked at me, she didn't even, she never thought about it that way. And she had tears streaming down her eyes. And she said to me, she said, I never thought about it that way. And she said, that makes me really, really sad. You know, that, that I am like this, like I am in some, I'm restricted because of being in this position and not having that confidence in myself, you know, and it it gave her a new perspective on thinking about it. Yeah. Right. Um, so for her, when she thinks about like putting time and effort and commitment into her practice, she's going to be thinking about her independence and freedom. And that's going to yeah. connect her to herself, which is so critical. Yeah, that's really interesting. I love that idea about values. Yeah. Um, well, one of the final questions I ask each of my guests is, yeah. in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Great question too. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I'm just going to say something about my new book because it's, it's, it, my new book really focuses on any stuckness relative to food or anything else. It's, it's really a lot more broad and I have a whole chapter, right? Cause it's ACE, which is acceptance, compassion, and empowerment, but I have a whole section, which is two chapters, like what gets in the way and how to fortify it on empowerment. Right. And that means taking action. It's not just Mm -hmm. saying you want to do it. It's not thinking you want to do it. It's actually doing it. Like what, what, and and that's, that to me is what really stands in our way of any practice. 
So, um, you know, what helps to cultivate it into a practice? I would say that you have to learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, you have to really have time management skills. That's also really critical. You have to learn about your habits. And you really have to learn about, it's a mind-body connection. So you have to learn about your mind and how it works. And again, both books, I dedicate a whole chapter on our thinking and our minds because it's critical to understand your mind. And um, some of the new work that I'm doing that I didn't include in either book, which I'm very frustrated about, I have to say, because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, everyone's like, okay, I just write another book. I'm like, yeah, easy for you to say. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, but I'm doing a lot of work now on polyvagal theory which is fascinating. And that, that really works on our nervous systems because it really, it, to me, it really is like comprehensive in terms of adding that body piece because our nervous systems often take over. So um, if you learn, like I said, about the mind, the body, um, you're golden, you're golden. And you know what people say to me? And I'm going to say this last thing people say to me, and I've done a, you know, a number of podcasts, they say to me, I don't understand, like, you know, how long have you been exercising and on this, you know, whatever. And I, I said, it, it's, it's almost 30 years. It's almost 30 years that like, I've, I've really committed to it. And I haven't like, even when I, even when I was pregnant, I, I, I was exercising till the day I was giving birth, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they say to me, how do you, you know, and they, they people are always like, Oh, you have such great willpower, you have such a motivation. And I was like, no, no, get those words out of your vocabulary. Yeah. I don't have a different vein than you have that says motivation on it. I said, you know what it is, what it comes down to? And again, this is, I added in my new book is I love myself. I really do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love myself. And because I love myself, I commit to myself. I commit to practicing some things that make me feel positive about myself, that give me increased confidence, and that actually allow me to live the life I want to live. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a culmination of all those things. (laughs) No, I love that. I I talk about that a lot with clients myself of it's not about willpower. It's not about motivation. I mean, nine times out of 10, I don't feel motivated to do the things I do. I just do them because they're habit now, or I know that they allow me to have more energy and to sleep better at night and to fit into my clothes and to feel my best, but I'm not motivated to like lift weights. Well, it it works in the opposite. You get motivated when you do. Right. Exactly. You don't start out with it. Right. And, And I even say, I like, I make a joke. I'm like, oh my goodness. If I acted on the way that my mind tells me to, yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's nothing different, you know, between your mind when you start kind of sustaining a healthy lifestyle and your mind prior. You're, it's always going to try to pull you into the path of least resistance. Always. Oh, it's gonna. Always. It's gonna. It's gonna really try again. It's comfort, 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 comfort. That's yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's such a good point. And it was so funny because today I saw somebody else post on social media. And it was the first time I'd heard it. The idea of getting comfortable being uncomfortable. And then mm-hmm. you mentioned it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's twice in one day I've heard that. And yeah. I love that. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's your mantra for the day. <laughs> it is. Maybe for the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, you've mentioned your books. Um, is the best place for people to find those on Amazon or is there a better place? Yeah. So you, of course my website has everything, you know, you could look, Okay. it's uh, Michelle with two L's and Maidenberg is M-A-I-D-E-N-B-E-R-G. Um, and my book, the new book is actually available for pre-order. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, uh, thrift books. And I know I'm forgetting something. Uh, I said Barnes and Noble, Amazon. Yeah. I can't think of anywhere else, but it's available. (laughs) Okay. And then where are you on social media? I'm on, I have a YouTube channel. I record weekly guided meditations. Um, Hmm. yes. And I also have, I'm a psychology today blogger. I do write on a variety of different topics. And I have to say this because I'm so excited. My recent um, article that I wrote on anxiety just got almost 120,000 reads. So I'm so so excited about it. Um, And who knew, but it's on anxiety. So psychology today, I have, I think, over 100 articles on a variety of different topics. And then my website, of course, is a great place. And Facebook also, Dr. Michelle Meadenberg. Oh, great. Okay. Well, I'll put links to all of those things in the show yeah. notes and so then, that people can and I'll, click I'll, through. I don't know if you have the Insta, you know, this Instagram. I do. Yeah, yeah. A bunch of them. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your insight with us today. I know I took a lot away from this, especially my new mantra. <laughs> and I, I look forward to staying connected with you off air. Thank you so much, Brooke. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.